0: I'm Steph Hansen, faculty at Iowa State University. And I'm Mary Janowski, faculty at the University of Nebraska.
1: When we started our faculty positions, we quickly realized how important mentoring can be
0: to the success of our graduate students and our programs. Using the principles of community, communication, and curiosity, we'll give you actionable tips to become a better graduate student mentor, based on what we've learned during our mentoring journey. We've made the mistakes, so you don't have to, because mentoring matters. We are really pleased to be doing our first interview on the podcast today with someone who has been a really important mentor to me. We have Dr. Jan Wersama here with us today, and she has been one of my teaching mentors for a long time now. I think one of the things that graduate student mentors really need to consider is how we can take the tools that maybe we've considered to be most appropriate for the classroom and apply them to our small group learning and our team development with our graduate students. So one of the tools that I feel like I've really learned a lot about has been related to understanding more how students see the world, and how students acquire information, how they get their energy, and that's related to the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, and uh, Dr. Jan, as her students often call her, has had some training in this, and so we're excited to have her here visiting with us today. So, let's start out, maybe, Jan, can you give us a little bit of background on um, your position at Iowa State and Project Learn? Yes, I will, Steph. Thank you.
2: Thanks for the intro. And- I'm pleased to be here. I'm excited about it. I'm going to go back farther than Iowa State. Um, I started my professional career in teaching ninth grade science and coaching in Northwest Iowa. Then I had an opportunity to come to Iowa State and continue my own education. And now I believe I have the best job in the world. When I first started Iowa State, I was um, involved in the cyber core program where Master students were working toward their information assurance degree, and then they'd go out into federal government and work on cybersecurity. What do I know about that? Nothing. However, the PIs at that time thought it was also necessary for students to be good leaders and step out that way. So they took four semesters of leadership development. That was really My main focus when I started at Iowa State, and then I got involved in faculty development, having the opportunity to help educators at Iowa State, faculty, staff, graduate students, learn more about human learning and how to apply that in any situation in which they lead learning. Third part of um, my responsibilities at Iowa State have to do with undergraduate education We have a learning and leadership sciences minor, and I teach the two foundational courses for that. So I am absolutely passionate about helping other people learn.
0: I think that's really great. I think one of the things listeners to hear there, too, is that she's had experience across a broad variety of educational settings. Okay, well, I think we'll uh, jump right in. And so our main focus today, although we'll probably stray off occasionally, is really going to be about how we can help our students understand more about their own processes. And one of the ways that we can do that is through something by understanding their preferences. So Jan, I know you've got training in this and obviously you've worked actually with my grad students some. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Myers-Briggs is and, and maybe you know why do you think it's useful for educators to help their students know this information about themselves?
2: Sure, yeah there are many different personality assessments available. You Google it, you find all, find all kinds of stuff. The Myers-Briggs type inventory is actually the most widely used and recognized personality tool in the world. Probably also the most highly researched and around 2 million people complete it every year. And I'll just give a brief history. I find it interesting. It began with Catherine Cook Briggs and her daughter, Isabel Briggs Meyer, in the United States in the early 20th century. Briggs was actually inspired to research personality types when she met her daughter's future husband, because he had such a different way of seeing the world that she became intrigued enough to start doing all the research she could on it came across Carl Jung's theories on psychological types, put that together. And her project actually was really pushed forward by World War II. And this part I just find so interesting. Myers believed that if people understood each other better, they'd work together better and there'd be less conflict. The post-war world would be a better place that grips my heart. I just think it's so important. And then today the Myers-Briggs company continues to follow Myers guiding principle that understanding personality and difference can change the world for the better. And Steph that's the, and Mary, that's the essence of what I see for the Myers-Briggs. It's twofold in my opinion in what it does for students. Helps them understand themselves better and also helps them understand other people better. I think that's really
1: amazing because we were actually talking in our last podcast about how just asking questions can help avoid a lot of conflict. So trying to understand why somebody did something or what their thought process was. The Myers-Briggs process helps you understand them on a different level. So understanding kind of where they're coming from without having to ask many questions.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Mary. And the important thing there is that the Myers-Briggs types are innate. We're born with preferences. However, they're only preferences. Just like writing left-handed or right-handed. We prefer one or the other and we're better at one or the other. We can do the opposite, but it takes more time, more energy, more thought. And that's another thing I wanna make sure students understand about these. They are preferences. Type should never be used as an excuse and type throughout our life can be influenced. The essence of all this is type is a journey. We're born with certain preferences our preference is not always the best for a certain situation. And so we need to learn when it's appropriate, when the opposite type would be better. And then we have to work on developing those. I, The essence of what I believe as far as helping students learn, the learner is responsible for the learning. They can learn to manage and control
0: their own growth and development. So Jan, before we get too much into the idea of preferences being sort of natural and then feeling like you want to get outside of your comfort zone sometimes, can you give us a high level of what the different groupings are for Myers-Briggs so our listeners understand? And obviously, we're not going to be experts on this in a 30-minute podcast, but just helping us understand some of the groupings. Yes, Steph, I will.
2: And you're right. If they're interested in learning more, there is a wealth of good information out there. But the Myers-Briggs has four dichotomies. The first one has to do with um, where we gain our energy. It's either extroversion or introversion. Those who have a preference for extroversion gain their energy from the outer world, from people. They want to change the world and they want to change it right now. They tend to be an afterthinker, which means every thought that goes through their brain might come out their
0: mouth. So I really, I love that. An afterthinker, not to interrupt, but I, I love that. That's a great way to think about it. I always think of them as thinking out loud. So, my experience, just to relate this to graduate students, has been when I have the strong E's, the strong extroverts, they're so busy thinking the problem out loud, like, for example, in their defense, that by the time they get to the end, you're like, oh my God, kid, I have no idea what you just said. And so one of the pieces of advice I have to give those students is, just write it down. I know it's against you know, what you want to do, but just write it down. Get your thoughts kind of organized so that the first impression the committee gets of you is not five minutes of circular thinking. It's boom, I know this. I just had to think out loud to get there. That's a good description, Steph, and that's
2: absolutely right. And it takes a lot of practice to be able to do that. For my younger students in class, when they know they have a strong preference for extroversion, I tell them to consider putting their finger over their lips. So that stops uh, the things from coming out. If they have a preference for introversion, they gain their energy from within. They like time alone, they like to recharge. Instead of changing the world, they want to understand the world. Um, They're more reserved, more questioning. They think before they speak, they're quiet appears like they want to be alone. And again, both of these preferences, there can be extremes. Uh, with the Myers-Briggs type, it isn't either extroversion or introversion, but it tells how strong the preference is. I have a strong preference for introversion. And so the strength doesn't tell us how good we are at something. It tells us how much we prefer it. So again, I think both, those who have a preference for extroversion, those who have a preference for introversion need to realize their way is not always the best.
0: I think let's have just a little chat about introversion versus extroversion in terms of like how we see it with mentoring graduate students. I think it's interesting that the first time I took Myers-Briggs was as a freshman in the president's leadership class at Iowa State. And I was an ENTJ, I know we haven't got to all the letters yet, but I, you know, I was definitely an E. And then when I took it again during my PhD, which would have been several years later, I was, I had moved to an I and all the rest of my letters had stayed the same. And then, you know, most recently I'm an INTJ or an ISTJ, I'm very much on the border with those two. But I think as as somebody who you would probably say you're surprised that I'm not a little more of an E. But as somebody who does do some good thinking out loud, one of the biggest things I have learned is that when so many of my students tend to be introverts, is if I can give them time to think about something ahead of time, the richness and quality of their answers is so much better. So a good example is if I'm going to ask an opening go around question in my full grad meeting, and I really want to sh- you know them to show their effort and show that they've been doing some deep thinking. I can't spring that on them and give them 60 seconds to come up with an answer. I need to have my stuff organized and give it to them the night before. And then I get some really great answers. I don't know if Mary, that's been a similar experience with you. Well, I'm a very strong eye.
1: So uh, <laughs> with that case, I hate being asked anything without me being able to think about it first. And I agree that, I would say the majority of the students I work with also tend to have an eye preference. And indeed, if before any meeting, if I give them the opportunity to think about whatever the topic is we're going to discuss, whatever the questions are, um, it, is a, it seems a much more comfortable experience for them and for me. In this case, I work with a lot of students that are very much like me, so I know what I like, so that's easy. It's harder when they have a different preference for you to think about what they prefer. And so I would be interested to hear about ideas for how to deal with, of course, the ease, as well as any other ideas Jan may have about things we should be considering for eyes, especially with networking. I hate networking and most of my students do too, but it's very important. So I'd like to hear uh, things that we could do maybe to help uh, make that experience a little more comfortable.
2: I think what you both have referred to by putting that information out ahead of time, giving them time to think, it's good for both ease and eyes. Those who have a preference for extroversion need to learn that not everybody wants to listen to them think. So they do need to do that ahead of time. And eyes need to understand there are times when they need to force themselves outside their comfort zone or they're gonna get run over. So I do believe that we need to encourage both to practice the opposite. One thing that I do um, is ask, and one of you have referred to this too, ask students to write thoughts before they express them, maybe in a go around, maybe even in preparing for a TTYP where they each have to write down what they're going to say. That takes a little bit of pressure off of those who have a preference for introversion. And it gives those who have a preference for extroversion um, more time to really think about what they want. There are other times when I like to, in a go-around limit number of words they can use. A go round might even be in five words or less tell us something that impacted you today and the difference it will make. That's really hard for those who have a preference for extroversion and it's hard for those who have a preference for introversion to do it on the spot. It's good for both groups to practice in a safe environment.
0: I really like that and that that word safe is something we talked a lot about in the podcast and how our students will open up to us so much more when they understand that it is a safe you know, environment within our, within our grad groups. One of the things that I've used as well, um, because all of my students have done either Myers-Briggs or there's actually just a website called 16personalities.com where they can take it for free. Um, and so I'll request that they do that. They don't have to, but most of them choose to do it and then share it. And then we can share with each other what our types are. And one of the things that's worked really well is I'll say, okay, you see that strong E just go follow that kid around at the meeting. Like, you know, they can network with everybody. They've got 15 business cards in their pocket after 15 minutes at a cocktail hour. Um, So what are they doing? What do you see them doing? You know, what's the conversation starters that they're using? So then they see that, you know, the E's have this kind of superpower, right. Of being able to be friends with anybody, And the eyes can learn from that kind of modeling, the ease. We've talked about some of the things that they can work on and stuff too. But I think Mary was talking about networking and it is really hard for those strong eyes to just go up to somebody and say, hi, I'm Steph. It's nice to meet you. I study this. One of the things I also suggest is that strong eyes have kind of, Catchphrases in their pockets. So if they know that the first thing they want to say is, Oh, we're both at this animal science meeting, what do you study? Or what's your species? Like something that can right off the bat get you interested. You know, if you're any place, you can be like, Hey, what's a cool book you've read lately? Or what are you watching on Netflix right now? Like there's always something to get the conversation started.
2: I like those ideas, Steph. And one that struck me when you talked about having the eye observe with ease or doing another thing, and I know this would. Work for me because of another preference in Myers Briggs, but setting goals. Maybe there's a goal for uh, that introverted student to contact X number of people.
0: Yeah, I love that because that's what I have my students do when we go to professional meetings. I tell them, I want to hear about X number of grad students that you met and X number of other faculty and, and things like that. And I do think that that incentivizes them to be like, oh, Steph's going to hold me accountable for actually networking with somebody. Um, And then I ask them too, now I'll be like, well, go follow them on LinkedIn or go send a follow-up email or something, you know, if it was a job potential kind of thing. So I think it's kind of full circle. Right, just
2: continually forcing them outside their comfort zone and the opportunity to practice. You know, there are lots of practice type situations that could be set up.
0: So I think for preferences, I and E are probably the easiest for somebody to wrap their head around once we get away from the fact that it's not just whether you're bubbly, it's rather where you get your energy from, inward or outward. So let's move on and talk about some other letters that actually might be even more important as it comes to mentoring and how we might change some of the ways that we work with students, um, but maybe aren't as intuitive as the I and E. Good transition, Steph, thanks. (laughs) The second
2: dichotomy in the Myers Briggs has to do with how you prefer to seek and take in information. And the the two dichotomies are sensing and intuition. Those who have a preference for sensing basically rely on the five senses, they like details, practicality, um, the present, live life as it is they do prefer to use learned skills and they do pay attention to details. Those who have a preference for intuition, sometimes we say they have a sixth sense. They think about possibilities. Instead of details, they see patterns, innovation, expectation. How can I use this? What else can be done with this? Instead of living life as it is, they like to change it or rearrange it. and they like to have new skills, they tend to look at the big picture. The important thing here, again, in my opinion, is number one, to have them understand their preference and understand there's another way to do things too. So if I have a preference for sensing, which I don't, I have to ask myself, what are the possibilities? What am I Missing here because I'm so focused on the details, Mary. I thought you were going to ask a question.
1: I'm a very, a very strong sensor. Practicality, details, the present is really how I work. But I actually, have a team member who is uh, very high on the intuition, and I have found that it's very, very valuable to our team because I tend to get into the weeds and the details, thinking about the now and they look for the patterns, they look for the big picture. And together, we always have a much better product at the end, because we both come together, and we both play to our strengths. And so I, I think recognizing that in your, in your teammates, or in your students, and, and using those strengths can be really, really helpful. Uh, but also recognizing that they're not going to be like you. And so The challenges, of course, are that if you're thinking one way about something and they're thinking in another way, how do you make sure that you're both communicating and can get to the same page?
2: Well said, Mary. One thing that you said triggered for me, again, a fundamental goal I have with Myers-Briggs. I talked about students understanding themselves, but appreciating what they have and valuing differences. I think that's so important on teams, uh, work groups, personal relationships. The differences is what really makes us strong. Like you said, you might miss the forest because you're looking at the trees, but somebody else can help you see the forest. And again, it's knowing self, knowing this is my preference. And you can ask yourself, what am I missing? What do I need to do? And of course, it's wonderful if you have somebody else that you can say, hey, I know you have the opposite preference. Help me with what I'm missing. It comes down to asking a lot of questions of both self and others.
0: So our last episode was, we called it phraseology. And uh, actually, you know, that's one of the things you've inspired, Jan, is you're very careful with your vocabulary. You're very thoughtful, I guess would be the appropriate word. Maybe not careful, I think. Because of your particular letter combination, you think very carefully about the impacts of your words. And so we had a whole episode that was just on what are some kind of questions and phrases that a mentor should always kind of have in their back pocket to be able to ask in different situations. And interestingly, just a side note, even since we did that podcast, I've used some of those words and phrases with some of my grad meetings this week. And it was very interesting to see them pause and do some deep thinking related to the questions that I asked, and I think I got some really good, insightful answers that were were useful to me. I wanted to comment on your thought about balancing people. So, for example, Mary and I make a really good team on a lot of things, and we have very few letters in common. <laughs> Depending on you know what it is, we're we are, we're both I's, but she's very strong. I'm I'm much more on the border between an I and an E. We have very big differences and you know, the way I always think about it is like I could do software in a heartbeat and she could take the machine apart and put it back together. And I would have lots of screws and bolts and I would have never read the manual, so it would not go well. (laughs) But, you know, we have different strengths, right? And I think that's really useful. But to get back to something that you say a lot, this whole seek first to understand, which was a topic we talked about last week, why does somebody do the things that they do, right? If it's because they are seeing the big picture and they're not seeing the details, asking the question of, well, why did you make that choice? Oh, well, yeah, it's because you're seeing this, but you're not seeing this other piece, right? Right. And again, I think if
2: we work with someone who has opposite letters, it can be so frustrating. Right? Actually, my husband and I have opposite on all four. But again, when you understand that those who have a preference for extroversion aren't really meaning to be rude when they interrupt, I think that helps a lot. I still think they need to learn not to always interrupt. But, you know, for both dichotomies, for both on each of the four dichotomies, there are extremes. And if we allow it, it can cause so much interpersonal, conflict. And if we understand it, goes back to what you and Mary have both said. If you have different preferences, you can really make each other shine. And that's our goal with our students. I still go back to, we need to help the students learn how to take care of themselves. If they are frustrated by a situation that goes against their preference, my question to that student would be, knowing what you know about your own preference in this area, what are you going to do to meet your needs? You're,
1: you're basically saying you have the power. You have the power for how you're going to deal with this. Just think about uh, the situation and figure out how you are going
2: to react. And I love that. Again, that's one of my fundamental beliefs, the learning belongs to the learner. It's my job to plan opportunities, to plan discussions, to plan whatever, to help them have the experiences, but the learning still belongs to them. And as far as asking them questions, I believe that when the students learn to start asking and answering their own questions, that's where they need to be. That's what professionals have to do. They're going to be asking questions that haven't even been thought of yet.
0: We, we love questions and answers. And a lot of what we talked about is remembering that these grad students are just big learners, right? Like they're they're not gonna know everything on day one, they need to learn and any tools that we can give them to help them be successful in the future, like asking the right questions and asking, when the responsibility is on them versus their team members, I think that's a really important professional development skill. Okay, so um, we've talked about how people get their energy inward versus outward. We've talked about how people seek and take in information. And I think one of the things that I find really interesting about Myers-Briggs, as I've done more reading, is actually the fact that the combination of the second letter that we just talked about and the third letter that we're about to talk about collectively can be really reflective of actually the learning style that a student prefers. And I know that's something that's been really an an aha moment for me. So tell us about the third letter um, and kind of what these these letters mean. Thanks, yeah. Okay, the
2: second one had to do with how we seek and take in information. The third one has to do with how we process that information and how we make decisions based on that information. I don't like the terms that are used in this dichotomy, but they didn't ask me, obviously. Uh, The two terms are thinking and feeling. If you process the information and make decisions based on logic of the situation, things, truths, principles, very impersonal. Treating others fairly means applying the same criteria that means that you're basing your decision on thinking if you're basing your decision on feeling it doesn't mean you're not thinking you're thinking about things differently those who have a preference for feeling really consider human values and needs they're concerned about people they tend to be a little bit more tactful they seek for harmony they believe in treating others as they need to be treated. Uh, so those who have a preference for feeling eh, typically have more care and concern for others, a zest, they're enthusiastic. Those who have a preference for thinking, they have a lot of intellectual criticism and curiosity. Uh, they do expose wrongs and they like to have solutions, answers. And again, we
0: can see how you need a little bit of both. Mary, I'm going to let you jump in first. I always have lots of thoughts on this particular dichotomy. As you were talking about over
1: time, how your preference for E versus I changed, uh, for me, it was thinking versus feeling. I started out very, very strong T, very much into logic, uh, principles, and, and didn't very impersonal in terms of my thought process but I'm an extension. I have a very heavy extension appointment. And over time I have noticed my thought process has changed because I realize that just because the logic says that something um, is very straightforward, it's not that straightforward because decisions are not made in a vacuum. And so over time I've noticed, like, as I've taken the Myers-Briggs test, I move more towards feeling because I've realized that people do matter, right? And and their decision process is made based off of other things other than just pure logic. What they value helps uh, shape their decision process. So I just thought it was kind of interesting because you said we need a little bit of both. And as I think about all of Myers-Briggs, that's kind of what the way I see it is that you have a preference and typically you're going one way or the other. But the more you can get moderated the easier it is to do anything.
2: Mary that's a really nice summary both of this dichotomy but also going back to something that i mentioned earlier type is a journey. Our, t- we are going to develop our non-preference throughout our life. If we look at the four letters and the four di- or the four letters that result from the dichotomies there are 16 possible personality types. And I like to think of it as my specific type is one room in the house. I'm most comfortable. I like to spend a lot of time there, but I need to learn how to invest time in the other 15 rooms too. And that takes a lot of hard work and it's worth it.
0: One of the things that my experience with the T and F dichotomies has been is that I am a very strong T and almost all of my students our feelers. And that to me was one of the most aha moments that I have had related to Myers Briggs and that was that those students needed something different than I did. I I don't need praise. I don't need somebody to say that they appreciate that I came out and did something that was just my job and that was that's the fairness thing I think. It's like you help me, I'll help you. And as soon as I realized that even something as simple as saying, "Emma, I appreciate that you went out and helped Elizabeth at the farm this morning," And that that was the first thing out of my mouth when I walked into the office instead of Elizabeth, what did your cattle weigh this morning, which is what my brain wants to do. And then later I'd be like, oh, by the way, you know, thanks. Or what did you guys do this weekend? So I think it's just kind of the order of those things. I think that's been really helpful. And it also has just helped me kind of take a beat when I have an interaction with a student and be like, what does this kid need for me right now?
2: I think that's an excellent example, Steph. And As you say, those who have a strong preference for thinking don't always care what anybody else is feeling, and that can take priority. So if you address that briefly first, that helps them be able to move more into the realm of being more logical and so on. Again, valuing the differences, valuing the way other people are thinking about it make a big difference.
0: All right, we're through three of four letters. Last but not least, can you tell us about the J and P dichotomies? Yes, fourth dichotomy
2: has to do with basically how we like to organize our world. Again, I don't like necessarily the names, but judgment or perception. Judgment does not mean judgmental. If you have a preference for judgment, you tend to be very decisive, very planful, You make lists. You like checking things off the list. You don't want to be interrupted with your list. You're very purposeful, exacting, and you focus on completing the task and coming to a decision fairly quickly. Those have a preference for perception. ah, They're really curious and spontaneous. They don't miss out on much. They're very flexible. If they've got work to do and somebody says, hey, you want to go do? Yeah, I can do my work anytime. They're adaptable. They're more tolerant. They might focus on starting the task, but rarely on bringing it to conclusion. They postpone decision as much as possible. I used to think that those who have a strong preference for perception are just procrastinators. Not so I have a strong preference for judgment, and I can procrastinate with the best of them. But those who have a strong preference for perception, they don't want to bring closure or make decisions too quickly because there might be something else out there. They might be missing out on something. Once I understood that, I really valued those who have stronger perception than I do. Because I know I like to bring things to a closure quickly so I can check it off my list. And so again, I didn't really say this in the beginning, but I think that for me, the first dichotomy on extroversion and introversion and the last dichotomy on judgment and perception probably caused the greatest difficulties in relationships and working with other people And the other two dichotomies are incredibly important for specific examples that uh, Mary and Steph has given when working with their graduate students. But this fourth dichotomy
0: can drive the other person crazy. I'm glad you said that. So I didn't have to say that because it is so true. (laughs) I am definitely a J, strong J.
1: Again, this is another one that my preference has kind of changed over time, but I do still tend to have this preference for getting things done and just moving forward. But I have realized that uh, sometimes that means you kind of miss the opportunities that may be available because you, you kind of put your blinders on. So in terms of productivity, yes, you can check things off. So I think it's it's really interesting. Like when you work with somebody who has a different preference uh, related to judgment versus perception. If you, especially if you're the person who just wants to get it done, you want to move forward, you want to check it off, you get very frustrated sometimes, right? With the with the P because you're like, why can't we just move forward and? And honestly, you, you feel like they're not invested almost is, is kind of what pops into my head because uh, I do have some teammates that, that are more peas, more peas than I am. And I just have to remember that, again, we both want the same thing. We want the best outcome. And so it's about making sure that we both have gotten that best outcome. And sometimes by just taking that time and allowing the P to work through their process, we get a better outcome than I would have gotten um, if I had just pushed forward with the thought process I had and the ideas I had. So again, I think it's all about understanding. Seek first to understand and and we will learn a lot.
2: (laughs) Mary, again, that's very well said. A good reminder, we're all concerned about producing the best product. We have different styles, we need to work together. What I try to help my undergraduates that I work with understand, again, is that there are two different preferences and it's easy sometimes, even when they set a time for a meeting. The meeting will be at eight o'clock or it'll be eight-ish. I noticed I was on our meeting here five minutes early and you both were already there. I grew up thinking if you're not early, you're late. And again, styles and differences, but coming back to working on teams, the communication is important. You have to agree on the starting time and what it means. You have to agree on deadlines. And those who have a strong preference for P don't like being pushed. Those who have a strong preference for J wanna know when it's gonna be done. So they have to communicate. They have to talk to each other. How about if we set this as our target date and that'll still give us time. Again, I think understanding what that other person is thinking instead of just thinking that they're a control
0: freak and that they're stubborn
2: is helpful
0: really enjoying this conversation. Two thoughts on the this last dichotomy. And one of them is from a personal perspective. One of the reasons actually that Mary and I, I think are friends and how we travel so well together is because all of my preferences mean that I want to read all of the reviews and I want to find the best opportunity. I don't want to get someplace and miss out on that thing that was just down the road because I hadn't done all my research. And I send a message to her and said, Hey, do you want to go here? And she just says, Yep, let's do it and pays half the bills. So, you know, it's a win-win. I get to have all my control enthusiast tendencies in the planning part. And uh, she comes along for the ride and she makes me a lot more spontaneous on things, right? Like she'll be like, let's do that trail. And I would be like, I don't know, I haven't f- fully researched it. And she's like, let's just do it anyway. So she makes me stretch outside of my comfort zone for that.
1: Yeah, it's also very interesting because related to my personal life, I am very much a pee. Related to my work, I tend to stray more towards the J. And so I think it's really interesting that I don't think somebody has to be one or the other. And so I think that's something else that people have to understand. I am totally a P when it comes to my personal life. I hate planning. I love to be spontaneous. I don't want to be stuck into a decision because, again, a better option might come available, But when it comes to my work, I'm very driven on outcomes and want to check off things and ultimately want to get things done.
2: And again, Mary, I would argue that you have a certain basic preference. It's probably for P, but your situation, your work has forced or demanded or encouraged you toward the J. And that's similar with me. I have a strong preference for introversion. I can't do what I love to do and the work that I believe that is important without a lot of extroversion. So I've had to learn to do that. It's exhausting, but it's worth it. So again, I hope that we encourage our students that these are preferences. And with growth and maturity, you will learn to use the non-preferred. And the more you do that, the more effective you're going to be on a team, the more effective you're going to be at interacting with others, and the more effective you'll be at leading others.
0: One last comment on the the J versus P um, from a professional standpoint. When I see students who have strong P, I give those kids deadlines. And we talk about ramifications of not making deadlines because they because they have this out of the box thinking and you know this better decision might come tomorrow it has been my observation limited sampling size that sometimes those students struggle to give me the first draft of something they do want to make sure it's as good as it could get and maybe they'll find something better tomorrow and i just need them to get over that and give me the first draft so that i can give them feedback and we make progress if it's a student who's very self-driven, I'll figure that out pretty quickly and I can change my tact. But I've found that it's been most successful from the get-go with those students. I can be like, here are your deadlines. And then I make sure that i be like, don't forget that's due tomorrow. And then I expected that today, why didn't I get it? So that they know that I'm serious about those deadlines. Excellent Steph. Again, sometimes we have to
2: set those kinds of expectations and deadlines until they learn to do that for themselves. And it takes some of them longer to learn that than others.
0: So this has been a really enjoyable conversation talking about preferences and how we can help grad students learn more about how they see the world, take in information, and how they can stretch themselves outside of their comfort zone. We have a couple of other random questions that we want to ask you here too, Jan, while we have you. And one of those is that I think all three of us have a a great deal of respect for individuals who demonstrate grit or tenacity. And... We would love your thoughts on how we can help students develop that. We call it resiliency sometimes in our project learn training. Yeah. What is grit? You know, just like
2: you can Google it, find all kinds of things. I believe that grit starts with knowing yourself well. The Myers-Briggs and a deep understanding of the Myers-Briggs. And then not only knowing yourself well, but valuing yourself. That's something that I've really seen, especially with freshmen that I work with. Someone always says, oh, you mean I'm not weird? Because they've always felt like they weren't the way they should be. So if we help students understand themselves, value themselves, and then I think next we have to help them develop a passion, a passion or a goal or something that they can get really excited about and, and then see Steph, I would go next toward the resiliency development, where we help students realize that when you're excited and you've got zest for life and you're going to change the world, it might not happen overnight. So what are you going to do when things don't quite go your way? Again, there's so much information on resiliency. And as you know, I like to focus on the four characteristics of resilient people and help students, number one, understand those. And number two, realize they're all things that can be taught and learned. And there are many, many skills that will help a student overcome challenges.
0: I love the resiliency thing. That actually might be a great topic for a future podcast where we could dig into that a little bit further.
1: I think your your comment about grit is really knowing yourself and valuing yourself. I've never really thought about it that way. That kind of helps me think about how to help students develop grit just by trying to help them think more about what are the things that they have their strengths in. And I have not really thought about helping develop a passion helps them develop grit. I have never really considered that, but it makes a lot of sense. Those students who are excited about something seem to be those that are the most resilient. You have a setback and it's like no big deal. They just keep pushing forward because they really want to see that outcome, whatever it is. They're like, this is really cool. A setback is is not a stumbling block that they can't overcome. They can just take that hurdle and move on. Uh, So I think that's I think that's really, really great take home message that I'm gonna have to try to keep in mind for the future dealing with the graduate students. I really appreciate your insights. There's a lot of things today that I'm gonna take away and see if I can
0: do a better job. We're gonna wrap up here with one final question. Tell us about someone who was a great mentor to you and what made them such a great mentor? I'm going to blow your minds with this.
2: The greatest mentor I ever had was my eighth grade physical education teacher. I was in a small school, so I had her from eighth grade all the way through high school. I also had two older sisters and they were perfect in everything they ever did. Then I came along and I wasn't, but she really cared about me. She got to know me. She challenged me. She held me accountable for trying new things. And she was there to encourage me and and pick me up and dust me off and kick me in the butt when I needed it. And so Steph, she really has had an impact on everything that I do uh, with other people in helping people learn. And I, I tell this to everybody, I don't believe that people care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I believe that that goes for any age preschool, undergrad, grad, or those folks who are in assisted living now.
0: I love that. Two things, you know, the the comment about that people don't care how much we know until they know how much we care uh, about them and their learning, but also the fact that an experience from early in that, in your lifetime, right, has lingered with you. So I think it's it should be encouragement to anybody listening to this podcast that our very first episode was called. Time well spent. And that is because we really feel like it is worth the time to be a good mentor to these students because it is going to be a multiplier effect. They're going to go out and they're going to take those good habits that you've helped them learn and they're going to carry those things with it, right? And we can remember the good mentors and we can remember the bad mentors, but man, it's nice to have those good mentors.
1: What really stuck with me is when you listed the things that this individual did, you said they got to know you first. Right. So that's about the caring about you. They challenged you, they held you accountable, and they kicked you in the butt when you needed it. I think that's a good list of, of things to keep in our head as mentors. Get to know them, challenge them, hold them accountable, and then kick their butt if they if they do need it.
0: Well, Jan, this has been great today. We really appreciate you taking the time and giving us some great information and things to think about today.
2: But it's been a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity to share some of my passion for helping other people learn with those who I know are passionate about what they do. So Mary, Steph, thanks to you.
1: Oh, Jen, thank you very much. I I really appreciate it. I learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners will learn a lot as well.